Hi, I'm Jacqueline Freeman. And I'm Sarah Korn. You're listening to Kitchen Table Alchemy, living in full color. This is a podcast for people who see and spread the magical in everyday life. All right, welcome to Kitchen Table Alchemy. We're having a pop-up podcast today at the Chaparral Suites in Scottsdale, Arizona. The Women Entrepreneurs Small Business Boot Camp was today. So um, it is just too pretty outside. I think we've got about 76 degrees, which in May in Arizona is such a precious precious gift. And so we just could not bring ourselves to go inside those cold uh, conference rooms. So we're outside. Um, you may hear cars in the background occasionally, um, but yeah, know that that's what's happening. We're not going to get hit by buses or anything. We're cool. And perhaps also <laughs> some birds chirping. Yes. The birds I'm fine with. Yes. <laughs> the birds I'm fine with. My inner Snow White is all about dancing <laughs> and talking with the birds, but the, the cars not so much. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, um, I wanted to start off with uh, some follow-up that came out of our last episode where we were talking about, is your creativity homeless? And, you know, we talked about the whole thing with how do you deal with panhandlers and... And as often happens with these things, sometimes I go home and I, I think more on what we talked about and the new stuff comes up. And so the thing that came up for me after last episode is, is this issue of trust. And it's something that I have been working with a lot lately. And, and I realized that really my whole issue around giving to homeless people was really it was really a sign of my own sort of not trusting like what are they going to do with the money and and you know are they going to use it to buy drugs or whatever you know the stuff that we talked about last time and it was really and then also coming from a place of like not having security for myself and feeling like well how can I give to someone else when I don't feel secure myself and especially you know financially I've been through a lot you know lately and so I realized that you know like what you were saying where it's like you see what's happening out there and then you look inward and how are you treating yourself the way that you treat other people and I realized oh my not trusting panhandlers with my money was me not trusting me with my money nice. too Insight. and yeah. yeah so i i just thought i wow. would share that wow <laughs> and gee so how does that impact how money comes into your life sarah <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome, right? Yeah. If we have this space of, like, not trusting ourselves to handle the resources and abundance that are coming in, um, there's been something that happened to me within the past couple of months where I came up against that same space in me. Um, Some of you may know I used to have massive issues with gluten. I would have these horrible gluten attacks that would, you know, if I ate something, then I'd be down. You can't eat anything No, I would be like even a tiny bit. Yeah, I would be down for two weeks, and it was really, really terrible. And um, I don't have celiac, but the sensitivity was so intense that it started getting, that even cross-contamination was becoming problematic, right? So, um, and I did some work with Charlene Cristiano, and so we were able to actually heal that. And so now I can eat gluten. And my first time in the store, when I went into the grocery store and realized that I could eat anything that was there, 
I had first I was just like, oh my gosh, I could have that if I wanted. Like and a I could kid have in that a candy store. <laughs> and I could have that if I wanted. And look, here are Oreos. We could get those if we wanted, right? And we didn't get those things because I know I feel like crap when I eat stuff like that. Yeah, like the junky stuff, not the mm-hmm. weeds part. But um, but this like awareness, totally like a kid in the candy store, like, wow, the whole world is mine. Like I have access to all of it now, right? And then I started like crying in the grocery section of Target because, <laughs> because I realized that I had made these decisions on a very deep subconscious level and had shut huge parts of the world away from myself, right? They were cut off because of the gluten intolerance. The gluten intolerance was a manifestation oh. of me not trusting myself and my body decided to like align with that belief, right? I'm, I made a decision and my body followed out my orders is basically what happened. I made a decision and my body followed out the orders that I was not to be trusted. And so I had to have my options heavily restricted. Gotcha. Right? Yeah. Because otherwise I was just going to be this wild child that ate crap all the time, right? And that's where that, like, that's where my fundamentalist upbringing starts coming in, right? This mm-hmm. idea that... Um, that the that the body and the things that come through it aren't to be trusted. That they're that the body is the enemy. That our impulses are the enemy, and that we have to squash them and and push them down and under, or we'll just sell. You know, <laughs> we're Kali Minogue twerking on national television. You know, like like boom, there you go. So not Minogue. What's, I'm mixing up. I'm pulling up '90s pop stars instead of the people <laughs> who are doing it now. Anyway, so. <laughs> We were just talking about it early. Whatever. It's not important. So, but yeah, like I had that awareness and I started realizing that there were these other places. I think my weight plays the same kind of role with my sexuality, right? So that's another knot that I have to unravel now is this idea that I have to put these boundaries on it because if, if I'm like easily recognizable as attractive, well, then Mm -hmm. I'm just going to be like... You know, hang, right? I'm gonna be like <laughs> hanging, like spread eagle in the middle of like Main Street or something. Like, sure, fall in, like whatever. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> so, but and it's crazy, right? But right. It, 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 but I, but I saw how that distrust of myself. I was doing these things to to put false. Um, restrictions on my options mm-hmm. because I couldn't be trusted. This yeah. was the decision that I had made about myself based on the things other people had told me, not based on my own experience with myself. Right. This but was, you bought into the belief. They told but I you it and you believed it. Right. And went along with I it. I bought into yeah. that. And so we have so many beliefs. I think that we don't realize that we hold because at some point someone told us something or like one incident happened and then we just bought into this whole belief about it. Um, and and now, you know, that's something we talked about the four agreements, I think. Did we? Yeah. I don't know if we talked about that book or not, but that's one of the things they talked about. On the mic, about. you mean. We yeah, definitely talked about the book. Yeah. I don't know if we talked about it on the mic. Yeah, <laughs> and, and that's, you know, that's a big thing in, in that that he talks about is that, um, you know, we have all these agreements, which are these beliefs that are oftentimes subconscious. And so the process of sort of digging these things up from the unconscious is sort of a process that we all need to go through because we all have stuff 
from our life and from our childhood. And we were talking about this earlier with some people that you really can't go through life without having stuff happen yeah, to you everyone does and and it have stuff that program you that you need to unravel yeah right and i think this is one of the things that gets really dangerous about these beliefs and the way that the beliefs um start like perpetuate themselves right is that we'll adopt this belief and then just in because part of being i mean humanity and part of being a human is this massive range of experience right we all have the capacity to be gandhi we all have the capacity to be hitler all of us do all of us so but we're going to like what we're focusing on in our experience our beliefs are going to shift our focus right so it's kind of like that um that hilarious little saying from I think it was my big fat Greek wedding where the the mother's like oh well the man may be the head but I'm the neck (laughs) (laughs) right and like the idea behind that was she's the one she focuses him in a direction and once she's focused him well then he does what she then he goes where she wants him to go yeah right and so it's kind of the same thing so if I've adopted this faulty belief or limiting belief about myself, then I'll start picking and choosing, right? Mm-hmm. So I won't I won't remember the time in my experiences when I did this really positive thing and made healthy decisions and and took care of myself and right like no I'm gonna focus like I'll ignore the 15 times I did really well I'm gonna focus on the one time when I was PMSing when I cleared out a whole roll of Oreos in one sitting like Like, right it's that same same thing that happens like when you are looking at buying a particular model of car and then all of a sudden you see them everywhere everywhere. yeah whereas before you didn't even notice it yeah it's that sort of where is your attention focused and focusing I think is the like the big word there right so it doesn't mean that I'm ignoring these other parts of me right it doesn't mean that I'm ignoring the places where I wobble or the places where I don't um, stand in alignment with what I with what my stated values are right but it's like whether or not I'm gonna focus on that is that who I really am or is that just a part of this does that make sense so when we talk about focus it's like um Am I going to focus on the positive things and the the decisions that I've made and the times that I have been my best friend? By, um, for example, if you have a really fantastic award happen, right, that are you going to say, if your focus is on the negative, like, well, I got this reward, but then my staff is doing this, and my mom called, and this happened. and it, So the award just kind of gets pushed aside. You look at it for a second, but then you're focused back on the negative again. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Whereas if you're focused on the positive, yeah. then you're going to be noticed, flipping that the other way around. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. And I, that happened to me. You know, I started my um, freelance business about three years ago, quit my job, cold turkey, um, didn't have any clients or anything, and... Um, and was building it from the ground up and I had some money set aside and I thought, oh, that'll last me until I get the business started up. But of course it took longer than I thought it would. (laughs) And so as I'm, you know, get into this period where the savings is running out and I'm having to put stuff on credit cards and, and, you know, every month there was this thing of this fear of how am I going to pay the bills next month? You know, and, and what I noticed after several months is that something would always come through. 
and sometimes from really unexpected sources. Yeah. And and finally, I finally after like five or six months, I picked up on the pattern. It was like, wow, you know, I'm so focused on I don't have enough, I don't have enough, and and where's this gonna money gonna come from? But yet it always comes from somewhere. Right. And you know maybe I should trust that. Yeah. And so that was really what started me on this path to trusting and trusting myself more, trusting the universe more. And it's something that, you know, incrementally been working on. And then, you know, more recently, I don't know, a month or two ago, I had had a a temporary contract job that ended and I didn't have a new one yet. And so I was looking for, you know, the next job and I had an opportunity, um, that came along, I interviewed for it, they really liked me, I really liked them, it seemed like it was going to work out, but they were like, it's like a 30 mile one way commute, and I was just like, and and I used to work for a company that was that far away in that area, and so I knew that commute, and I was like, you know, this, uh, I can do it for a little while. I can do it for a little while for the money till I find something better, but I know it's not going to work for me long term. And this position was like attempt to permanent, so they were looking for someone that was long term. And and I was like, I can't lie to them and tell them. Oh, well, I could, I could lie and say, oh yeah, I'm planning to stay and you know look for something and then leave. But I was like, that feels very dishonest to me, and I don't want to do that. And you know, but there was that part of me that's like, you need this money, you need this job, like you got to do what you got to do to survive. <laughs> and, and I was like, but that's not in alignment with who I am. And so I said, so I was honest with them, and they went with somebody else, you know. And and at the, and then it, of course, in that remorse, that voice comes in and goes, "What did you do? You know, this is terrible." Um, and then, like a week later, I I got just like multiple opportunities came along, and now I'm working at this really great job where I get to work from home, and I get to also have some time to still work on my freelance work, and it's a really great company and a great boss, and and so it's like, and I now I think back and go, if I had taken that other thing. I wouldn't have found this one because right. I would have been I would have stopped looking. Right. And I would have been closed off from that. So, you know, I, I it love was that. yeah, it was just another. And I love what you did there because <laughs> you said you said at some point in the story like you got to do what you got to do to survive. Yeah. And I think that's so key, right? Because when we're in that survivor mm-hmm. mindset, then we're in the reptilian brain. Right. Right. We're working out of the limbic system. We're working out of that first layer of the evolutionary brain that we, yeah. you know, a lot of people call it the reptilian brain. Right? And I've learned that I can't last very long there. Oh, like, no. I well, can, no. It's, it's, it's just very I taxing yeah. on, on the body in all kinds of ways. Yeah. And it certainly shuts down, like, compassion, connection, spiritual growth. Right. Because that's when if you if you think about it, like you're basically living in hell Mm -hmm. when you're in that part of your brain. Right. right? Because you're turning off all your higher connections. You're hiring. You're you're turning off your higher connections and you're also you're living in a fight or flight. Mm -hmm. You're living survival mode means constantly trying to figure out who you can trust and who you can't. 
And if the longer you stay in survival mode, the fewer people you're going to think you can trust. Right. Because that's what survival mode is about. You can't trust anyone. Right. right. It's, I yeah, mean, that's you could die at any moment. That's exactly. basically what. And if you think about it, survival mode is really meant to be temporary. Absolutely. It's for when there's a, a tiger and it's really you like need to like get the heck out of there. Literally five minutes <laughs> while right. you run up a tree. Yeah. Until, you know, it's not supposed to be a place that we live in. Right. And we know medically what it does to our bodies. Right. I mean, there's. Like adrenal glands. Right. Completely burning out, for example. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yes, for, for our listeners who don't know this, so I uh, um, uh, also I had a session with Charlene who helped um, Jacqueline with with her gluten um, issue, and that was one thing she said was like, yeah, your your adrenals are like taxed out. Oh, and I'm sure so much of our audience is having this. I know several years ago I had massive issues with my adrenal glands just completely burning out. Yeah, right? and I think a lot of people are, you know, we Absolutely. hear about people who are overstressed and who end up in the hospital, you know, due to something that was triggered yeah. by stress and it's because so many people are living for extended periods of time in right. survival mode. And then we become like kind of addicted to it, right? Like, so they're what was the name of the show? Was Orphan Black? Is that a show on Amazon? Um, so Jason's brother was saying how amazing it was, and he thought that I would really that I would really like it a lot because the way the personalities fit together and stuff like this. So we started watching it, and after the second or third episode, I told Jason, I was like, "We're not watching this anymore. Like, they're all they're doing is milking my adrenals. Like, I could feel mm. it. I could feel the the adrenal glands." like secreting their stuff because they're just ramping the stress, ramping the stress, ramping the stress. I just stopped watching a show too, because I'm like, it's really good. It's so dramatic and it's very intense, but, but it's, Intense to the point of being stressful. Totally. To the point where I'm like, and they're not really want it. I don't want to see another episode because it got to the point. It's sort of like the last episode I watched ended on like a very positive note, and I was like, you know what? I'm ready to stop there. I want to pretend that's the end of the story because I know they're just gonna ramp it up again, and I'm. Right. And that's what I told him. I was like, they're they're never going to resolve this. Exactly. (laughs) They're never going to resolve it. They're just going to ramp it up and ramp it up and ramp it up and send me off a cliff at the end. Right. And I'm just not interested in doing that to my body. And when we're, when we're looking at what's happening from, from the psyche's point of view or the spirit's point of view, the, the subconscious part that's, that's driving us and, and filing in those belief systems, right? That part of us makes no distinction between experience that we're actually going through, things that we're witnessing, and stories that we're hearing. There is no distinction for the subconscious with that stuff. So if I'm watching these shows that are just, like, making adrenal milk, mm-hmm. right, because yeah. that's what they're doing, then then I'm, I'm, like, I'm sending those messages to my deeper self, which is going to make it that much harder for me to pop out a reptilian brain in my waking experience with people, right? And when people say, like, oh, it's just television, everyone knows that's not real. Mm. Really? Where do you get your news from? Where are you watching the presidential debates? Yeah. It's on TV. Yeah. So the idea that that there's some part of us that can put this wall up and, and knows the difference between reality and fantasy with that stuff is um, it can be really dangerous because then we end up having our walls down when we're watching stuff like that. Right. And then you just have these massive dumps 
into your subconscious yeah. and and then that plays out in regular life and so if if struggling with with trust in your relationships is a is a big issue if um, being in these like oh my god everybody's out to get me kind of places at work where you feel like right you're being worked against at work all the time like if you're finding these kind of situations propping up in your life all the time take a look at what you're watching and if you clean out like pay attention to the stories that are coming across mm-hmm. in the media you're taking in what is the what is the story that they're telling you is and, and same thing with the news that you're looking at with the stuff you're seeing in your Facebook feed is the story saying that people are terrible you can't trust anyone people will get the worst out of you every time nobody if, if that's the story that you're getting then then you need to to decide whether you still want to have the life that that story brings you, yeah. right? And that gets me thinking, you know, so um, a few months ago, I don't know, maybe a year ago, I was watching a whole bunch, a whole series of different shows like um, Game of Thrones and Orange is the New Black and the, um, I forget, like a bunch of them. They're all like these really, these shows that were very popular and they were considered very sort of cutting edge and very dramatic. And But what I found is I'm like, I go to sit down to watch TV in the evening and or after I watch them and I feel like depressed and just like... And I finally realized it's because I'm watching all these really dark shows where people are doing terrible things to each other. And, and, you know, I get that it's groundbreaking drama and everything, but I was like, you know, I just don't need to see that as my entertainment. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I, you know, it's one of those things. It's like, you know, after you've seen, a movie about the Holocaust or a rape scene or something. It's like, you don't need to keep seeing it over and over. Like, you know that that stuff happens. And, you know, I, and I kind of wonder if, you know, as we're talking about this, it it occurs to me that maybe the reason that those kind of shows are very popular right now is because so many people in our culture are in that survival mode and they're they're in that space in their lives and so then they can relate to it when it's happening to these characters on TV. But I don't know if that's necessarily a healthy thing. That I think there's a, there's probably a lot of stuff going on. And it really depends on... Um, because I am not afraid of going into the darkness, right? <laughs> yes, as we established uh, last yes. time. Uh, <laughs> Afterwards, oh, that was the other thing. So after the last podcast... Or maybe it was one before, whichever one where we talked about creativity. That was the last yeah, one. Yeah, that was the last one. Yeah. yeah. And and I was like, man, you know, I think of creativity as this fun thing where you go to explore yourself and it's this fun adventure and gosh, Jacqueline is like trying to go to the dark side and like way to be a buzzkill, Jacqueline. <laughs> I was like, no one's going to want to be created after listening to that episode. (laughs) But I think that's interesting that creativity can be a doorway both into what is light and fun and freeing, and it's also a doorway into the darkness. And which is probably a well, reason. It's a really great way to, to to move through and manage the darkness and become friends with it. I think it's it's one of the things that that just those moments where I realize those moments where I really step into that, wow, aren't human beings magnificent, right? 
is when you can see, like blues music, for example. Blues music exists because people are going through, like, unmentionable torment, right? And they took this complete dehumanization, this misery, this... Uh, having all of your options shut out and shut down and everything that's going to support you taken away from you. And within that framework, they made this magnificent music, this amazing music that's so gripping and helps you pull those things out that are kind of rumbling around down there and, and get them out. So you, right. Yeah. Like sunshine is the best disinfectant, and- but you can't, disinfected if you won't look at it in the first place right well and that's the thing is that people don't i think our instinct our fear that part of us that's trying to protect us from any kind of pain is wanting to steer clear of that because it's operating under the belief that if you go there it will kill you and the empowering thing that i think you're talking about is when you dive into that stuff and you open the closet you see the monsters that are in there and realize they're not as scary or or maybe it's not so much that they're not as scary as you thought they were but that you're stronger than you thought you were and that whatever the monsters are you can go in there and you can come out the other side and still be whole and you know it's not going to be the end of you yeah absolutely Right, it's kind of the image that's coming up for me right now. If you've seen Big Fish, mm-hmm. um, and I used to be on Netflix, I don't know if it's it still is, is still. That's where I saw um, it recently. Yeah, so uh, I in in Big Fish, right? He looks into there's this witch, and if you look into her eyes, you'll see you'll how see you're your going to die. Yeah, and, uh, and so the kids all dare each other whether or not they're going to go do this, and and there's such a beautiful deep truth there that once we face death is when we can finally start living. But as long as we're afraid to look it in the eye, then we end up running away from our lives, right? And don't live in the first place. All right, so tomorrow is Mother's Day, so we thought we would talk about that today. And um, uh, as usual, I'm going to be giving the light version. <laughs> and Jacqueline has and the, some deep, dark the stuff. Queen of death over here. <laughs> queen of the underworld. Jacqueline so, will chime in afterwards. <laughs> no. no. Well, maybe maybe that's just because I choose not to talk about the dark stuff. I don't know. So, um, so I'm going to be spending Mother's Day with my two sons, Alex and Dan and they're going to take me to a brunch of some form. And so it's just going to be a nice day with my boys. And and then also helping them pack for, uh, they are each going on separate week-long trips starting uh, Monday morning at like 4 a.m. So I get to help them with that too. So so it was interesting. So for me, I never celebrated Mother's Day um, because growing up I didn't have a mother because I was adopted. Um... And just by a single dad. And um, I, you know, so for me, for a lot of years, Mother's Day was the, oh, thanks, everybody, for reminding me that I have no mom. 
Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Otherwise known as salt in the wound day. Right, yeah, exactly. For a lot of people. Yeah. yeah. So it yeah. used to be that kind of day for me. Uh, and then strangely in the how same would you, year. How would you how would you deal with that? Like how did you manage Mother's Day? When it was salt in the wound day. Well, and you know, of course, that was the one that would happen oftentimes while school was still in session. So at school, you know, the teachers would have the kids make like oh the little God, paper yes. creations, you know, the handprints and the I love you mom cards. And so some years I chose not to participate in those activities. And then some years I would just make mine and pretend I had someone to give it to and um, I think once or twice there were like family friends or something that um, that I would give it to um, who were sort of mother-like um, yeah. people in my life. Um, but yeah, it was. It, and then when I became once I wasn't in school and didn't like was didn't have to face that you know of being forced to like make Mother's Day gifts. Um, as an adult, I just ignored it. You know, just was like a holiday that didn't exist for me. Um, and then strangely, the year that my first son was born was also the year that I finally met my biological mother. Wow. As an adult when I was, I don't know, 25, 26. And, um, uh, so it was weird. I went from not celebrating Mother's Day at all to now both being a mother and having a mother. (laughs) Yeah. To like that I knew, you know, um, so that was really weird, and it's really hard to find Mother's Day cards that don't talk about all those times we shared together. You were always there for me, and right, <sighs> yeah. <laughs> right. So that was, you know, going right. through the Hallmark aisle, like, nope, nope. Nope. (laughs) (laughs) Like, again, salt in the wound. Thank you for reminding me that my mom wasn't there. Yeah. I know, right? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So so that was Mother's Day for me. And then now, um, so a few years ago, um, my mom passed away from cancer. Um, and so then it was like, oh, just as I got used to having a mother, now I don't once again. Right. So, <laughs> so like, start it all over again. Yeah. I know. It's been amazing <laughs> to me. So it, it's been a really hard day for me. Um, I think before it wasn't great, right? My mom drank herself to death by 56. So also the hallmark, thanks for always being amazing and being my best friend and the support when I had nothing else, right? Yeah. Like, they uh, need a whole new section of cards, I swear, for like those parents you don't know very well that weren't really there for you. The ones that say happy Mother's Day, blank inside. <laughs> you know? And for dads too, for that matter, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. God. We should start a card line. <laughs> well, it's nowadays so many people have come from divorced families. They yeah. have step parents. There's a lot of situations out there that uh, you know where the usual cards don't work. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, I think Mother's Day, I think Father's Day does the same kind of thing. But we don't make quite the same deal Father's Day culturally yeah, speaking, which is a little that we do, which is biased. you know, sucks for like the good dads out yeah. there. Um, so it's not, I, I didn't feel like Father's Day was quite the same salt in the wound that, yeah. that Mother's Day was. And maybe it's because we have this like over idealized, um, sort of uh, picture within society. Right? The mom is the superwoman kind of thing. Right. Well, I mean, yeah. it really fits into this, um, like, kind of Madonna whore syndrome that runs under a lot of our, um, 
sort of runs under a lot of our societal belief structures about who women are and who's good and who's not good and right like so it's a celebration of all those good moms right because it puts them on such a pedestal oh right right that if you're not june cleaver who didn't exist <laughs> right that fictional right. character then not it's that just terrible right mom. and so there's this meme going around on facebook with um a picture of Mary Poppins on the top, and it says the mom I wanted to be or thought I was going to be, and then Miss Havisham on the bottom, <laughs> right? And it's like the mom that that I was, right? So she's like, you know, in this in the slip with the thing falling off and the bottle of booze and Carol Burnett playing. Oh, Miss Havisham. Is that from Annie? Annie? Yes. Okay. okay was it Miss yeah. Havisham? I don't know, but, but I know so the character. Yeah, so you're the, the character about, yeah. in Annie. Yeah, totally. <laughs> and it just made me laugh so hard, and I felt like God, my mom mom could probably totally relate to this because I know that my mom had this um, she had this idea in her head right like coming up in the 60s she wanted to be this like wonderful stay at home mom that would do everything for her kids and have fresh muffins on the thing and whatever well she ended up marrying a narcissistic alcoholic playboy so that didn't happen she started drinking to be able to keep up with him Right, yeah. and and she turns into Miss Havisham. So, like, I can totally see how my mom would really relate to that meme. It wasn't one that I re- I was shooting more for like Roseanne, <laughs> <laughs> and that's pretty much where I hit. You know what I mean? So, so I didn't have this. I didn't have this um, that dichotomy. Right, right. That creates a lot of tension. Yeah. And it brings up a lot of shame and a lot of self-hatred. And so we just end up kind of going in this little cycle. And it's interesting how on on Mother's Day that it seems to catch all of us, right? Like, it's all the moms that... Um, that either so there's there's all the women in the world that really want to have children and haven't been able to have children salt in the wound right salt in the wound <laughs> there's uh, those that uh, had really crappy moms or unavailable moms or broken and addicted moms that weren't able to be with there for them salt in the wound yep. there's there's those that were adopted or their mom died really early or their mom's dead now salt in the wound right and then there's the moms who have kids and their kids are for example males. In their mid twenties, <laughs> so we'll be like, "What was right. it, Mother's Day?" Oh, sorry. Yeah, right. Like, so you know, I'll that didn't an, pop up on my Google calendar, so, so I I'll didn't get know. an apology at Fourth of July. Like, oh crap, Mom, sorry. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, or maybe he does show up, right? Because like every year, of course, he gets you know. So like the adult. Like, pops up every now and then. It's like whack-a-mole adult. I don't know when it's going to show up, right? And if I think it's going to be there, then I'm going to get my heart broken, right? So, um, so you got to go into it with no expectations, basically. Pretty much. But, you know, like, so, so, like, I lost my mom in 2010. I lost my other mother in 2012. And then last month, I buried the grandmother that raised me. So, like, Mother's Day has been awful. Like, really. I was never great, Right, um, but it is just all like, the wound times four, oh my basically. God, it, it has just been like seriously sit on the couch and cry all day long. Like this has been Mother's Day for me for since basically 2010. Like my son was with me on 2010 because that was the year my she died in January, right? So he did come that year, 
um, and then just hasn't shown since, right? So, um, so, and I think maybe he's gonna, and I'd be texting like, hey, are we doing anything? You know what I mean? And, um, and I would just get like nothing, right? <laughs> so, um, so then I would just lay on the couch and feel really sorry for myself and cry all day long, and it was really terrible. But yeah, it's, it's really, it's, it's amazing how, so much of this like angst that we have around mothers, around the expectations of women, around how we manifest the mother within us and how much we're in touch with that. Um, and this, uh, Jason and I, our date night is to go see the live in HD from the Met. <clears throat> so the Metropolitan Opera in New York does the simulcast performances that come out on Saturday. Not every Saturday, but when they when they do it, it's on a Saturday. And then they do a repeat, right? They show the film again on Wednesday evening. So, um, so he and I go to the, the Wednesday evening one because Saturday's too crowded. And, and then I get all, like pissed because I feel like people aren't real opera fans because they're making too much noise and not paying attention and I want to hit them like just go watch Captain America and leave me alone please thank you so um, instead of munching your popcorn and squeaking your tennis shoes in my ear like so so we go on Wednesday night because there's not as many people and then we can like you know sit by ourselves so I don't want to punch people and miss the performance totally my issue but whatever that's what we do and um, so this this week um, Electra was showing so um Electra is uh, a Greek character. And so a lot of times, you, if you've heard about the Oedipus complex, right, where he kills his father to marry his mother, so they also talk about the Electra complex, um, which is the other side of that. Although it's kind of a misnomer because her dad was already killed and she killed the mom in revenge, right? But one of the things that I've been thinking about a lot and sort of like ruminating on this um, this week is how this Electra complex that we all end up kind of picking up feeds into this antagonism that we have with our own divine feminine and that being able to come forward, right? So <clears throat> in the backstory with Electra, um, uh, Clytemestra was married to Agamemnon, who was a big Trojan war hero, right? And it's not that it was even the ideal situation of Greece where her dad said, you're going to marry this guy, <laughs> and she had to do it, right? Um, he killed her husband, raped her, and then took her as his bride, right? Killed her husband and their two children, <gasps> raped her, took her as his bride, right? So this is how Clytemestra and Agamemnon got together. And um, so then she has more children by him. He goes off to Troy and fights Troy. So he's this big golden boy, right? Because he's winning the Troy War. He comes home with his little Trojan War trophy, Cassandra, who he's had two children with. Um, And so Clytemestra, like, just, she cracks, Right? She kills him. She kills Cassandra. She kills their kids. Right? You think you're just going to use me up, kill my children, take me into this, and then bring your little huzzy up in here? Oh, no, 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 no. Right? This is what, this is the backstory for Electra. So when the opera starts, we're picking up with Electra, um, who is grieving her father being murdered. So is Electra... Is the daughter of Clytemestra and Agamemnon. Oh, okay. Right. Okay. So you have um, Electra Iphigenia. Oh, so Iphigenia was another child that they had. Um, Agamemnon, while away at battle, 
he couldn't get his his battleships out of the field out of the the harbor so he thought he needed to make a sacrifice to get the winds to turn around so he sends word back to Clytemestra that he has arranged a marriage with Iphigenia and Achilles so Clytemestra sends Iphigenia their daughter to him and he sacrifices her to get the winds to turn around so he can get his ships out of harbor Oh my god. Okay, so yeah, when he comes home with his little war hussy and the two kids, she kills him. Okay, right? I mean, like, maybe not the wisest decision, maybe not gonna help your karma, but you know, like, you understand where it's coming from, right? Right. Like, the guy has really screwed her over, over and over and over again. And it was a horror story to the Greeks, right? The idea that this guy, this man that was this war hero and nobility and all this, that a woman, a horrible, lowly, ridiculous little fly like a woman. Oh, it was a horror story dis- that she to- killed him? Yes. <laughs> oh, I thought the you story- meant it was a horror story that Oh, no, they he didn't did that stuff. All that. Like, oh. whatever. She just needed to get over it. But, but no, the fact that she killed him and his children, right, was just like, <gasps> I mean, it's like complete, you know, um, wow. like fatal attraction level horror story to the Greek mind, right? So when the Electra, when the play Electra begins, you have Electra mourning her father's death and talking about this horrible, her horrible, horrible mother that has done this and the stepfather that she married while he was gone after she, you know, after he killed Iphigenia and hooked up with Cassandra, then she, Clytemester hooked up with this other guy. So Electra's like, oh, this hussy of a woman and this traitor man that's coming to take these things from my father, right? So she's totally ignoring everything the dad has done, totally taking his side and demonizing her mother, right? So this is the story of Electra. And if we sit and think about the different ways that that we do that, on a societal level and maybe on, on really personal levels as well, right? Where we, like, do this kind of, oh, well, boys will be boys, right? And any woman that that stands up against that, that is a wet blanket, that is a shrew, that, like, these are the things we call women that stand up and say, this is not acceptable. If you think you're going to be able to do this, you got another thing coming, right? We've got all these words for that, and and yet here we are living in this world where we don't have a balance between healthy divine masculine and healthy divine feminine, right? So if it starts getting out of balance, then then you have lots of oppression. You have lots of economic injustice. You have lots of war. You have children starving while, uh, you know, like military contractors are are charging $99 to do one bag of laundry, right? Like, this is where our money is going. Like, how many kids could you feed for 99 bucks instead of paying Blackwater to do bad laundry, right? Like, but this is the priorities that we have. And so I've been thinking a lot this week about this electric complex that we're all kind of walking around with and, and how we're killing off the queen within us that would stand up to that, right? Because we're blinding ourselves to what's really happening over here, right? Like I haven't, I'm still bubbling. Yeah. <laughs> I'm working it out on the mic right now, but <laughs> yeah. Like what comes up for you with that? I don't know. Um, you know, I think part of me wants to sort of look at that story and write it off as, 
like a cultural thing like oh well you know those greeks back then whatever they Mm. were so messed up (laughs) um and and to think well that doesn't apply today you know that's ancient history um i don't know i mean i there's definitely i think there's definitely you see on both sides these um, you know, these ideals of what a man is supposed to be, what a woman is supposed to be. And then when people don't live up to that perfection, there's a lot of judgment and blame, both from external sources from the world, but then also us blaming ourselves for not, yeah. you know, being that for ideal. Be- right. Right. And and the thing is... Crucify ourselves just for being human. The ideal is just... It's like a poster child. Like, it's not even really ideal because ideal really is balanced it's like you said it has both it has you know everybody has you know the masculine and the feminine within themselves and how much of one or the other you have depends on the person and depends on their personality and so when people are trying to repress part of themselves because that doesn't fit the mold of who they're supposed to be that, like you said, it just causes all this, all the strife, you know, both internally and then that, you know, gets out into the world yeah. as well. Yeah, absolutely. And these, these, it's interesting, right? Because, and it's something I've also been thinking about, and I thought we'd do a different segment on it or something, but, um, but all the transgender stuff that's going on right now, I think the sort of spiritual core of what's really happening, rather than getting bogged down on the politics of what's happening and this kind of stuff with it, um, I've been wondering, like, what is it about and how fascinating that we're so terrified by people that are transcending gender? I mean, that's what transgender means, right? So they're moving from one gender to another, so they're creating this kind of meta-category. And But, like, you can't reach actualization or enlightenment unless you have found the masculine within you, found the feminine within you, and married those two together. Right. Right? Yeah. Like, that's the the color, like, red is a feminine color and blue is a masculine color, and those two together are purple, which is why purple is the symbol for royalty. Uh, right? Because on, right. A, on a spiritual level... You you come to that place of kingship or queenship. And isn't that the color of the highest chakra? It is too? the color of the highest yeah. chakra. Yes, it's the crown chakra. Right, right. <laughs> and it is it is the, the the blending of the the masculine and the feminine. You get to a place where you you pull that apart and deconstruct it, and then you bring it back together again, so that you you transcend the gender and and work both of those. Right. Yeah. But yet here we are in this space where we have this segment of our population that is apparently absolutely terrified of people that aren't fitting into these really narrowly defined boxes, right? Which I think comes back to what we were talking about earlier with that issue of trust and, you know, feeling that the world has to be a certain way that I need to know who's male and who's female and who they can sleep with and who they're not going to sleep with. And, and you know, it, it brings up for people, you know, really in our first episode we talked about, you know, living in full color versus the black and white thinking. Yeah. And so it's tapping into that where people are like, I want my 
my clear definitions of you know male and female and 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 so when you start blending things together when you start you know crossing genders that you know those people freak out right and you know i don't have a problem with people being transgendered or whatever gendered i don't even know all the terms i can't keep up with them (laughs) but um but but that's me because I'm comfortable with that. You know, right. I'm comfortable with the whole yin yang, some of this, some of that, and blending it all together and mixing it into something new and interesting. Um, but a lot of people aren't, and well, and it makes me wonder too, like whether because it, it does bring to question, like, well, what does it mean to be a woman? What does it mean to be a man? Like, what does it mean for me to be a woman? Right, and and. Um, Growing up as a five foot nine inch woman in Memphis, Amazon Tennessee, woman. right? Like Amazon tree woman <laughs> in Memphis, Tennessee, where because the feminine ideal is to be tiny, right? To have a tiny body and a tiny voice and a tiny frame and to wear a little dainty jewelry and right, like mm-hmm. and the, uh, nothing about me is tiny. My voice isn't, my body isn't, my energy isn't, my ideas are like nothing about me is tiny. So, um, so growing up in this space where like that's what a good woman was and I wasn't that, right? Right. Then, um, so if I'm not a good woman, does that mean I'm not a good person? Right. Because if you say, if you say she's not a good woman, do you think, oh, well, she's crap at baking and can't wear heels? I mean, like, what, that's yeah. not what you think, right? You don't think about gender trappings. You, you make an assumption about their character as a human being on the whole, right, to say that's not a good woman or that's not a good man. There's something wrong with them. It's, it's that right. thing of there's something wrong with you, which gets, which is a very fundamental fear that people yes. have, that feeling of not worthiness, um, I, I know I struggle with that, and I think it's something that almost everybody, everybody has struggled, struggled yeah, with, absolutely. right? That feeling of, what if I'm not enough? What if there's something fundamentally wrong with me? Right. And it starts out with those things like you're talking about when you don't fit the mold growing right. up, and you start to question your own worth, and you know, and then it just snowballs from there. Yeah, absolutely, right? So so if we're if there's now this group of people that... Because of things that have happened at birth, right? And I think a lot of people don't know about 11% of the population is born with ambiguous gender. About born at birth? Born. They have ambiguous genitals. They have ambiguous really? gender. They have three chromosomes instead of two. Jamie Lee Curtis is an XXY. I did not know Chromosomally, that. she is a male and a female. And no there are way. people that will have, like, either a, a clitoris... Because, actually, babies are females. And then they become males and they become through the males, testosterone. Right. Yeah. So there's a lot of different endocrine things that are happening and, and so anatomical the process things basically that are happening. doesn't go complete or... So if it doesn't go... Right. There's a lot of different things that can take different roads during that process. So if that happens... Then you you have um, like maybe the testes didn't form all the way. Maybe the 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 the, um, the, the clitoris sure start, the started clitoris. Right, right exactly. Yeah. So it used to be they would do surgery, right? They would pick what the gender was, and right. Then... And a lot of times the doctor would decide do the reassignment surgery on the child 
maybe they told the parents, maybe they didn't. And a lot of people aren't aware that if you're having a hospital birth, the, the hospital has custody of your child and can totally override your decisions about what you want to go down. Seriously? Seriously. Right. So, so the doctor could reassign or assign a sex to the child. Maybe they tell the parents, maybe they don't. I would think these days they probably do at least have a conversation afterwards. But um, when I was a kid, when I was born, it was still in the time when they would not have even had a conversation with the parents. So it may be that chromosomally that child was closer to female than male, but the doctor thought it looked more male, so he sewed up the labia to make it look like testicles, right? And sent this kid home, and then the child doesn't understand why they don't feel like they fit what their body is, right? right? So this, when you're saying like the ideal just doesn't work and the ideal itself is causing us problems, I think when we're talking about like physical, physical sex, because mm-hmm. the, the, the genitals are your sex, the gender is a, is a cultural set of beliefs and ideals about what a man is and what a woman is, right? right. But if someone... Um, but we can see in the in, in the rea- the medical reality that it's not just Adam and Eve, right? Like there is this really broad range, actually, and we have more than ten percent of the population that is born in this in between place. So so for, so what are we supposed to do with these people? What are they supposed to do? How are they supposed to figure that out? So like not only are ideals not actual medical reality. But but then you have people that, you know, I am a cisgender woman. People think I'm a woman. My, you know, everything checks out to be female sex, this kind of stuff. But I don't fit the traditional female gender. And growing up in the South, that was a big rubbing point for me. It was really hard. And so I had to spend a lot of time thinking about what does it mean to be a woman? And, like, I had a friend tell me, quote, air quote, friend, right? right. I had an air quote friend in Memphis tell me that I was a man in a woman's suit. Wow. I was a truck driver in a woman's suit. That's what he said. <laughs> right? And, and I had people tell me crap like that all the time in Memphis. And I was like, you know what? If you think I'm a man, you don't understand what a woman is. Right. So, but I had spent a whole, I, because of that friction, I had to spend a whole lot of time deciding for myself whether, what I identified with. Right. And for my orientation, like gender orientation, as well as sexual orientation, like, what do I really like here? What am I really about? What do I really want? Right. And like, talk about going down that rabbit hole. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I think that idea scares the crap out of a lot of people. But if we're sitting back and really, and especially, like, with the work that I do with um, with couples, like, a lot of times friction can happen in couples because people haven't, well, that's the man's job. Well, that's right. the woman's job. Well, I don't like doing that. And and they don't stop to have the conversation about, well, maybe we should reconsider that. Right. Because if you're taking over the roles that actually work for you, then you don't have that friction all the time. Yeah. Right? So, um, you know, like, I, I, 
I was raised in this agrarian family with this kind of working that works the way up to working class, right? So, so I have this like, no, but it feels better if you fix it yourself, you know. And um, and and Jason was, you know, his, his mom's a data systems analyst and his dad's a biomedical engineer. Like, you know, I'm like, don't you feel better when you've done it yourself? He's like, no, I feel better when I pay other people to take care of it for me, right? Yeah. And so if something breaks in the house, he's not fixing that. Right. So if I don't want us to spend a hundred bucks on the plumber or whatever, well, then I'm going to get my little, yes, I can fix it book out and figure it out for myself. And I feel really good about myself when I've done it. Do you know what I mean? But if I expected him to get up and go do that, like how many fights are we going to have? Right. Yeah. No, that's the man's job. You're supposed to go figure out why that lamp outside isn't working. Right. So then we're going to fight and fight and fight about it. And the lamp doesn't get fixed. And then we spend a lot of money on an electrician to come out. Right. As opposed to, well, it's important to me. I feel good when I get it done. So I'm just going to go do it. And instead, he's going to wash the dishes or do what I mean? Like go get some some laundry done while I take care of that. Right. So. um, uh, But, yeah, if we're if we're willing to have that conversation and really figure out like what fits me? Who am I? What do I like to do? What don't I like to do? What part of this do I accept and embrace? And what part do I not need? Right. Then we'll find that we're able to have much deeper connections in our, in our relationships because we're relating as, as individuals, as opposed to always filtering everything through this gender role that we're playing. All right, so, well, I don't know how we went from Mother's Day to talking about gender <laughs> stuff, but we did, as usual. We, we wound our way around there. So, uh, all right, so now let's um, take it back to the practical side of things. And um, uh, I don't know, what did we learn about Mother's Day? I know. Like, <laughs> I think, first of all, we should maybe, like, rename it Salt in the Wound Day. Um, <laughs> but I think, like, ways to not make Mother's Day absolutely and totally suck. Right. Um, could be, um, I think there's a lot of different, so I'm, I'm going to be holding a, an event, um, tomorrow. And I do believe this is going to be an annual thing because the response that I've gotten has just been so tremendous. Um, but I'm having a motherless, motherless, motherless mother's day, um, tomorrow. And so for that's for women who have lost their mothers. Right. Okay. So this is for motherless children. And it, it may be that next year I end up having like a morning event and an evening event so that one is for those that have lost their mothers and then the others, mothers that have lost their children. So childless gotcha. mothers and motherless children, right? So I'm right. having a motherless children event tomorrow. Uh, next year, I may very well have a, have one for both, but I think, um, what we're going to be focusing on an event tomorrow, and I think something people could do, um, uh, for mother's day is, uh, really sitting down and thinking about the things that, that you got from mother figures or, or your parent, that you can still use every day, right? So, like, one of the things that we're doing for the event tomorrow, people are bringing a dish, either that their mother cooked or that their mother would have liked, because not all mothers cook, of course. Um, and I, one of the the ladies that was coming sent me a message, and it's one of my neighbors, and she had said, I, was, I asked her, have you decided what dish you're going to bring? 
and she's making lumpia. She's making Filipino lumpia. And, um, and I was like, oh, how, I was like, is it your mom's recipe? She's like, yeah, she taught me how to make it when I was really young. I was like, well, what a wonderful way to spend some time with her. Right. As you're making it. Kind right. Of thing. That yeah. you're kind of finding those places where you did have that closeness. Right. And, and I get it. My mom drank herself to death. Like, I get it that they're not all, but there, there are those moments. moments. Yeah. Right. So finding those spaces to find the gifts that you have. And it, like, I realized this week too, um, my mom is the one that turned me on to classical music. There is no one else in my family that is interested at all. And it was really important to my mother that I understand those kinds of things. If it hadn't been for that, I wouldn't have met Jason. Right? Because that's oh. one of the things that we bonded on. So it, it really is finding, if you can find those spaces where you did get gifts, um, then that can be a way to shift that. I think another thing that could be really beautiful, I read this in a blog this week as I was doing research for my blog post, um, was to go buy either a bouquet of flowers or write just a small gift and to go to like a senior home and ask the reception who doesn't get that many visitors and go give some flowers to a woman that doesn't get that many visitors, right? So I think finding ways, and that having been a, a child with a mother that was just not capable of taking care of all my needs, finding other mother figures, right? Yeah. And giving them love and appreciation can really help shift that stuff around. So that remind you actually reminded me of something I did around this. Um, so I was at one point, I don't know, maybe like half a year ago. Maybe it was last Mother's Day. I don't know. I was feeling um, uh, upset that uh, I had lost the chance to really do stuff with my mother. Because even after we met, you know, she lived in Texas. I lived in Arizona. And um, we both had young children. I was pregnant with my first kid. She had a new family, you know, with a new husband and young children. And so it just wasn't practical for us to really meet uh, again after that, after that first time that we met in person. And um, so, you know, we Facebooked and things like that. But, um, but I never got to do those things with her that I felt like mothers and I had mm. in my mind, like, mothers and daughters like go have a spa day together you know and and just things like that 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 and then when she died I was like now I'm never gonna get to do that Mm. stuff with her um and so I was feeling sorry for myself and um and then I as always trying to think okay how can I turn this around because I hate feeling depressed (laughs) so I'm always looking for a way out of it and um uh And so I thought, well, okay, so obviously that ship has sailed. She and I are never going to get to do those things together. But maybe as the next best thing, I can be that mom for someone else. Absolutely. Who is where I was when I was a kid. Um, So I um, became a volunteer for Big Brother, Big Sisters. And um, just recently got matched up with someone. Oh, and cool. We have our first outing uh, next week. So, um, so yeah, so that was what yeah. I did was yeah. 
And that was totally what I was going to say for the flip side, for the childless mothers also, that that, like, not... And I'm not child... Like, I have children, but they're boys, and it's it's a different thing. Mother-daughter bond is different than the mother-son. Yeah, and whether you're the daughter or whether you're the mother, then still being able to participate in that. And I think um, there that that mother within us, right? Or even spending time in in nature and really connecting to Mm. all the things that mother nature does to support us and take care of us. I love that. Right. There's so many ways to get in touch with that. And once we get into, and that's been a big part of my healing from my relationship with my mom is to get in touch with that mother earth and see all the ways that she supports me and she sustains me and she takes care of me and she nurtures me and she sends me those little signs that, you know, the hummingbird that comes at just the right moment, right? Like those kind of things. So, which builds that sense of trust. Which we were talking about at the beginning yes, of the episode. Exactly. Right? That trust in something deeper that even though the person that was there for you or not there for you or whatever your situation was, even though they're gone, be, right, yeah. even though they're gone, there's something deeper that you can trust right. in the world. And get, and get tapped into that. 